And welcome to Gleeman the Geek, Bounce Back versus Texas edition, which is not a word I thought I would say. The I'm John names the entire episode after the first game of a four-game <laughs> series and may look that foolish. That was a fun game. I'm John Bonas of TruthDaily.com with me, Aaron Gleeman of the Athletic It was especially a fun game in part because the other two games were so depressing. You know, they, they lost leads yeah. on both Wednesday and thir- or Tuesday and Wednesday. In Milwaukee, yeah. In Milwaukee. That Wednesday game was just weird. Yeah, they and just, it, it left them at a disadvantage then for Thursday, right? Yeah. bullpen wise. Yes, Duran right. was down yep. completely. Right. Uh, I think they wanted to avoid Theobar, although he warmed up late. Yeah, when Jax was closing it out, right. and uh, <laughs> they just were very limited. Like the, and their one their one long stretch of the thi- of the uh, of the season with nine games in a row, and they started with the first two games by just working their bullpen. <laughs> yeah, Baldelli actually <laughs> talked, and losing <laughs> talked about that pregame. Yeah, because. He was like, I think he said to Phil Miller of the Strib, uh, you know, you've asked me so much about the days off and all that. And he basically right. said, now we're about to start, I think he said, like 22 games in 23 days yeah, or whatever like that, it is. Yeah. And uh, we got a completely depleted bullpen with uh, the best <laughs> offense in baseball in the other dugout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's good luck. And uh, they, Pablo Lopez, who didn't pitch particularly well, no, uh, five runs in five innings, I think, uh, three homers. And then he said afterward, I completely failed. I feel yeah. terrible about this yeah. because not only did he just not pitch well just in, right. you know, on yeah. its own, but it was clearly a spot where they would have loved to get seven from him. Yeah. Uh, and earlier this season, they were in a, maybe three, four weeks ago. I forget the actual opponent, but it was here. And he talked about – he did go like six or seven right. strong and said before the game, this feels extra good because Rocco kind of came up to me and said, look – uh, we don't have many options behind right. you here, so if you can kind of be efficient in the first few innings and maybe try to squeeze out an extra few outs here, that would be good. And you could tell he felt bad about it. That's one thing I appreciate about Pablo Lopez. He's uh, he's always quick to talk about success in terms of the team, but al- also within that he's willing to talk about uh, struggles individually. Right. And so when he goes you know, seven and gives up a run, it's, well – the catcher was great calling pitches and the defense was great behind me and the offense gave me some support when there's a game like last night he doesn't deflect the individual stuff and he basically said complete failure on my part i'm lucky that the offense decided to show up and did so well and the other kind of weird hero last night was josh (laughs) winder who uh, has been up and down all yeah. season, has not pitched well. There was one other game, though, like this. Yeah, it was like five games ago. Yeah. Yeah. He went four and gave up a run, I Something think. Something like that, yeah. Uh, and he, uh, Rocco was very full of, Rocco Baldelli was re- very full of praise for Winder afterward. And I, uh, when I was walking, <coughs> excuse me, through the, through the clubhouse afterward, three or four different players. Uh, came up to Josh Winder and gave him a back slap and nice. high five and said basically like you saved our ass there, right, which he yeah, did yeah, absolutely, you're absolutely right. So that they could just turn to only one overworked late inning reliever instead of multiple, or instead of trying to close out the game with who knows what the actual situation. If it would have been kind of a normal Nita right. seventh, eighth, ninth inning guy, I don't know who that would have even been necessarily. So Cole Sands had just pitched the day before too. Right? Yes, you know, like, and uh, to shut down one of the better lineups, one, a lineup that just hit three homers off Pablo Lopez, 
And Josh Winder, it's been a struggle for him this year from a health standpoint, from a performance standpoint. He hasn't gotten a ton of chances, obviously, but it's been real up and down, even at at AAA. And so, yeah, I'm sure that felt real good. And then Ryan Jeffers plays the hero. Yeah. Uh, Matt Walner lines like a, just a rocket <laughs> off the wall for a single that would have been a that homer was, oh. in all but two other parks. <laughs> really? Uh, or something like that. No, not two. Eight, I don't know. Forget. It would have been a homer in most parks. Uh, but the wall, the, wall, the high wall in right field. Ends up, yeah. Then Correa comes through with a clutch double yeah, uh, in right. the left yeah. center, after, which was huge. After leaving guys on second yeah. base like two times already. Or like 200 times all season. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, and then Ryan Jeffers off the bench, which here's a funny thing. There's a guy. He's a listener. I don't know his name. I almost don't want to know his name because <laughs> I'm afraid I'll like Google him and he'll be like some horrendous <laughs> thing or something. But he sits uh, in front. He's the section in front of us. Um. And he wears a Miranda jersey, Twin Cities jersey. <laughs> okay, all right. And he's a listener of the show. And yeah. uh, it's become a running bit that he's he's upset that we rip on uh, Ed Julian's defense. Okay. And so okay. whenever Ed Julian converts a play at second right. base, he stands up and he turns around and he points at me and he says, <laughs> shout something. So the social media team that sits behind me loves it. Like I'm trying to talk them into making him like fan of the week on Instagram. Sure, sure, right. But anyway, he was he was walking past the press box yesterday as Julian was in the on deck circle to face uh, their lefty closer. Right, and he and then they announced Jeffers as the pinch hitter, and he says, "Oh boy, Rocco's pinch hitting for my guy Julian." <laughs> and as he's saying it, Ryan Jeffers launches. He walks away like three feet. Yes. Ryan Jeffers launches uh, the game winning home run, yep. two run homer. Yep. Uh, and I turn and I watches just put, it the whole way. Yeah. Does a bat flip that? Yeah, yeah. he was very excited. Looks like about a it. pinwheel. Uh, and I turned and I was like, "There you go." I think you know Jeffers was the only. There were only two guys on the bench at that point: Jeffers and Gallo. You're not going to pinch hit Gallo right. well, versus for a, anyone really, right? But, yeah, exactly right. Especially versus a left. And you know, you could debate. They had just let. Walner hit right. for himself, obviously. Right. You only had the one right-handed option. I think hitting Jeffers for Julian there certainly fits their MO with platooning that we've seen all season. It also is the thing that's frustrated some fans right. who are like, yep. they just want these young left-handed hitters to hit. Sure. I mean, we've talked about this for years and years. Right. Going back to a rise, it was a topic. Going back to the Garden Hire era, it was a topic about like Jock Jones and Kubo and guys like that. There's an overrating of even very good left-handed hitters or even very promising young left-handed hitters like Julian or Walner. The idea that if you just give them enough reps lefty on lefty, they will develop into productive hitters lefty on lefty. But the reality is even really good like Joe Maurer, Justin Morneau type of left-handed hitters are just sort of okay against left-handed right. pitchers. It's the biggest platoon split you can get in any matchup. Right. And so, yes, could you have let Julian hit for himself there? Absolutely. But you have Ryan Jeffers, who's A, a big, strong right-handed hitter. Yeah, right. B, has made a career. The only thing he's really thrived at prior to this year consistently is hitting left-handed pitching. He's got like a career 800-something OPS against them. And he's been your best hitter for like since the All-Star break yeah, overall. Right. And here's the fun part. So after he hits the two-run homer on a Real bad slider, I would say. Yeah, well, just a hung inside. Like I, I thought it was a bad slider. I, I, it was it was down low by the time he got to it, but it was it was down low when it hit the seats. <laughs> uh, I think it was it was in and middle. I would say, but he um he declined to 
uh, say it was a bad pitch, obviously, <laughs> uh, which is not surprising. But here's what he did reveal an interesting kind of behind the scenes thing. I'm pulling up the actual quote here so I can. Uh, so Correa says afterward, post game, okay. he's, here's a quote from Correa. I walked into the cage, like between innings and like the, and the pitching machine was super high, like the arm angle of the pitching machine. They have a, we've talked about this. They have the yeah, pitching yeah. machine that can mimic deliveries, oh, okay. arm angles, yeah, 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 velocity, right, 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 right. Yep. slider, that sort of thing. Uh, so, and Correa says, I was like, how come the machine is so high? And Jeffers said, I'm going to hit Will Smith's slider and he's got a high release. <laughs> he started hitting sliders in the sixth and seventh inning and then when he came up to bat i was like will smith is going to throw him a slider and he's been practicing that slider for two <laughs> innings already and so that's funny here's a Try to find. That's funny because we had a Patreon question about like what do they do when a, a new pitcher comes in, yeah. like, and we're like, ah, they they don't really have time to go. Well, this. he was anticipating this two yes. two innings beforehand, which is yeah. very interesting to me. I yeah, mean, you can right. map it out, especially that is the one. I don't want to say disadvantage, but the of having a left-handed closer is right. that you know they're going to pitch the ninth inning. Right. There's not like, oh, when will they bring in this lefty right. to face our lefties? There's no real matchup to it. Right. And it was going to be a lefty closer either way because their other closing option is Araldus Chapman, okay. yeah. who's also yeah, a lefty. Yeah. And so here's what, here's what um, Jeffers then said. He said, Smith has a high release point, so we jacked the machine way up high. I was just hitting some sliders. I was hitting them pretty well. I told Joey Gallo right before I went out there, hey, if he hangs me one here, I'm putting it in the seats. Now, look. I've been around enough, even in a few years here, to know that uh, these when it when it ends the way it did, <laughs> right, some yes. of the blanks to these stories get filled in in sure, ways that sure. make them more sure. uh, fun to tell. Well, he might have said that when he struck out too. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right, right. but that is a really interesting, you know, uh, strategical component or a behind the scenes right. component, and that's you definitely see uh, they have a they have an indoor batting cage with several cages right next to the clubhouse. Uh, and there's coaches by it. They right. hold their team uh, hitting meetings next to it. We're sort of not really allowed to go back there other than in certain circumstances. It's kind of their safe zone for hitters. And there are definitely, I know like Nelson Cruz used to do this. He would just go, as a DH, he would just go back there and take 50 right. swings yes. between innings. Right. And Buxton does this and several other players. And so, yeah, you can, when you know it's going to be a left-handed pitcher in the ninth inning, and you're, it's a close game, right. and you can start to see the bottom of the lineup kind of coming up in that spot. If you're Ryan Jeffers, yep. you can say, well, I'm probably going to pinch hit for somebody here, yeah. right? And yeah. Uh, obviously, yeah. He if, might, I, if I'm going to be in the game, it's going to be as a right. pinch hitter versus a left-handed pitcher. Yeah, right? what, That's I mean, what it's going to be. What's right. the downside? Right. I go waste some energy here and don't get called upon <laughs> right. in that spot, and right. I took a few swings in a batting cage, and then I can't have these great quotes. <laughs> and Correa will go, yeah, he just wasted his time. What a loser. That'll be the quote. Like I saw Jeffers. He was working his ass off for no reason. Uh, so I thought that was good. I mean, Ryan Jeffers has just been great, and we've talked about it before. It's uh, – He's he's really changed his game in terms of mechanical approach. Yeah. Parker actually had a good breakdown on Twitter. Just the subtle changes uh, in kind of bat placement and what he's doing with his feet in terms of stride, no stride, leg kick, all that stuff. And then also throwing mechanics have been much better for him. And, you know, it's an odd situation at times now because they paid $10 million a year for three years <laughs> yeah, for Christian yeah, Vasquez. Yeah, yeah. Although he's been fine since the All-Star All break, break, he's been better. Um, if it wasn't for Jeffers having this great run, we'd be going, well, at least Christian Vasquez is showing some signs of life sure. here at the bottom of the lineup. But yeah, uh, Jeffers has just made huge contributions for them. Uh, and to come off the bench, I think... Well, especially know. after... I mean, I, I was... 
there was no question in my mind he was not going to get the start uh, today after watching that game on Wednesday where it's 90-some yeah. degrees he or something. basically yeah, running yeah, the first basically, base. He's, you know, just legs are not working trying to yeah. army crawl to first base on a a play that uh, any other I, I don't know how he managed to get there and get and be safe it was just a swinging bunt that ended he, up being, he basically uh, fell twice yeah, right, on the way there yeah, right, yeah. and just made it so yeah so, so after that and Thursday's win now look I've joked with John but like they're playing the Rangers who are very good sure. now yes we can uh, lose three in a row easily right. to the, Rangers. the first five minutes of the show might sound absurd three days from now but what that's such as life when you record a podcast right, but right. um it's a, it's a snapshot in time, That's exactly this podcast, right. That's among right. other things. That's right. uh, but that win last night was particularly big because, A, like you said, I know people love when I say A, and then I don't finish <laughs> with a B, C, D, E. I'll try to. A, number two, C, uh, A. That was a bit on, uh, what was that show? Paul Reiser and uh, Helen Hunt. Mad about you. Mad about you. He'd go, A. This yeah. number two. I definitely, like, do. I definitely do that. I like lists because it helps my brain type one, lay things out. B. Yeah. My brain is kind of like a legal pad yeah. at all times. Yeah. I just need to keep flipping the page yeah. of the legal pad. The, the Milwaukee miniseries was terrible. Right. I yeah. mean, it was, you know, I'm not going to say it was season ending, obviously, but it was just about the worst case scenario in terms of bullpen usage and the two right. losses and all that. Right. You come home and you lose a third straight there. That's, that's rough. Especially you got three more against Texas. Uh, the other thing, though, is heading into three versus Cleveland. <laughs> right, right. The other thing is Cleveland played – they finished a suspended game from Wednesday right. against the Dodgers yes. and then played a second game yesterday against After the Dodgers. After winning the first game of the series. Right. Yep. So they lost twice yesterday before the Twins game started. Right. So and so it was to six. the primest of prime opportunities to right. just win a game here and then C or three, I suppose <laughs> – and this is something players in Baldelli talked about is this is just the type of game that you feel really good about winning. Your starting pitcher was not sharp. Right. You kind of didn't play well for the first part of the game and even the middle part of the game, but you just kept kind of clawing back, yep. chipping away one run here. And there were missed opportunities. I mean, they had opportunities to yes. tie it or take yes. the lead before that and yep. didn't come through. Right. And you just go, all right, well, here we go again. But And doubles off the wall and the guy stays right. at second base the whole time. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so – but to chip away and then to actually break through, I mean, they've had quite a few ninth inning. Yeah. Even some of them have fallen short right. where they're down four and they yeah. hit two homers right. and they score three. And then yeah. it's like, well, yeah, that, that was a just last week. Tim Brewster style right. moral victory or whatever yeah. where we scored, we scored last or whatever. But <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, it was a good win. And you wake up this morning and if you look at baseball reference or fan graphs or anything, they're uh, like roughly 97% now to win the, the AL Central. I'll just repeat what we've said now for a while, which is now there's 12 games left of this kind right. of brutal uh, Texas-Cleveland, Texas-Cleveland stretch. Right. If if you can just make it out of this next 12, having you've played one of the 12 as we right. speak right now, right. if you can just kind of make it out alive, and by that I mean with, let's say, a three-game lead, right. you, it, the, the likelihood of them getting caught from behind given the schedules involved with even a three- or four-game lead is so slim that if you can just make it out of this little gauntlet here, uh, and it's going to be tricky. I mean, we saw last night was a very tricky game, and they got 12 more of these things. Right, yes. Uh, and the Cleveland games, obviously. Count, count twice. Sort of count double, <laughs> yeah. A, yeah. But if you can just sort of not face plant, and that's been a tall task yes. for the Twins to yeah. not face plant. But yeah. if you, I mean, the next 12, honestly, going 5-7, and seven, 
They'll be in great shape. Yeah. You you could go potentially four and eight, depending on when those four happen and when those eight happen. You could potentially go four and eight and come out of it and be you know ninety percent to win this thing. And so that's the importance of all these games. Now they're not must win games. We're not going to get into that BS at this point. But uh, these are it's their last sort of test at the high level yeah, right. before you can just kind of coast yeah. in and. You know, it's a it's a good test not only of that, but it's a test of really what we've been frustrated by from this team all season, which is they tend to when facing a situation like this, and when we sit here on a day and say if they can just build on some momentum or if they can just get through these next few, and they then a week later we tend to go, well, that didn't go well. Right. I mean, that was terrible. They completely botched that. And, and if they can just, for once in their lives, just play competently over these 12, then it changes the entire landscape for the remaining, you know, three or four weeks of the season. We had a long conversation on the Patreon about, you know, what this, you know, how we are in the last, you know, five weeks of the season here, six weeks of the season. And you start paying attention to, what kind of team are we going to have at the end of September? Right. Right. And this, yeah, it does become sort of a litmus test in that, you know, you faced, you know, Brewers, by the way, are no no joke. They're 13 games over right. 500 they're or something win. right now. They're, they're going to win that division. I think they're going to win that division. Um, Especially, by the way, they scored uh, Rangers, six runs off Corbin Burns. Right. Rangers might be the best team in the American League. Well, I, I mean, I, I would have said that 10 uh, days ago. Yeah. Right, right. Now they've lost seven in a row. But. <laughs> um and then you've got to you've got to prove it versus Cleveland. You know you've got to you've got to go out and win. I mean, you know you win the draw. <laughs> you know what I mean. But you've got to you're going to have to beat Cleveland. Yeah, um, or so, not right face plant. Yeah, that's Cleveland. right. Exactly. That's right. Right. I mean that's the bar here. Is don't face plant. If you don't face plant over the course of twelve games, and by face plant right. I mean, you know go. Two and four or worse right. against yes. Cleveland, right. and go you know four or an eight or worse overall in these next twelve games. Right. That's really all. I mean, it's not a high bar, but right. it's this division is not a high bar. There's not a high bar for this team. I mean, right. maybe that, that changes everyone's bar for what success means in the playoffs. Changes obviously. Well, but. part of the part of the reason we had that conversation about you know what this team looks like end of September is some of the news that broke this week. We talked about it on the Patreon. We'll get to that in a second. But first, let's talk about what one of our sponsors here, uh, Hatch. You just started using a Hatch. Yes. So Hatch is basically like a. Uh, I don't know, new school. Well, it's part alarm clock, but it's also like helps you for in terms of uh, white noise. It can help you for sleep. It's basically an all around sleep aid. It's a dream machine. It's a sure, yeah, it's, it's yeah. all that stuff, right? Uh, so yeah, I uh, I gave it a I don't know, gave it a test. It can be your ally <laughs> in rest. I like that. I do too. It's a, it's a yeah. sound machine. It's a light and alarm clock. Uh, it's you know nicely big, designed. So how you big can, is it? Uh, I would say the size of a cantaloupe. Okay, all right, something like that. Okay, is it round? Uh, no, it's like half round with a flat front. Okay, kind okay, of. cool. Uh, but also, I'm sure there are various models okay, and right. designs and colors okay. that will fit your color scheme. They just sent me sure. one to try, gotcha. obviously. Um, but it it can kind of I don't know teach you, I guess, teach when your it's body, how yeah, to. when it's time to get up, kind of naturally instead of you know, no one looks. It's it's a horrible. First five seconds of the day when, <laughs> beep, beep, yeah, beep, you just hear the beep. So the goal is to kind of avoid that and it can, you know, 
subtly change the light in your room so that it's more like you're waking up in nature kind oh, of cool. if you want that cool. or it can have uh increasing sounds that start out kind of low so it's not just hitting you with the full beep 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 well, and also as somebody has trouble falling asleep it does yes uh, you can do some of- white noise which i like to use in in nice. my room that blocks out you know ambient noise and all that so yeah it, it really uh I don't know. You can if you struggle getting to sleep, staying to sleep, or if you just hate being woken up uh, <laughs> right. suddenly by the standard alarm clock. Right. Uh, it's it's about right that you know I, I've been using the same alarm clock system for about forty years. It's about right somebody invented something that was like, here's a better way to do this because it's not the greatest right. way to do it. So Hatch is offering our listeners twenty dollars off your purchase of a Hatch Restore, and you also get free shipping. It's hatch.co, not not com, co. So right. hatch, H-A-T-H-A-T-C-H, hatch dot, <laughs> hatch.co <laughs> slash Gleeman. That's right. Sleep deeply, wake gently with the restore. Go to hatch.co slash Gleeman to get $20 off and you'll get free shipping. That's hatch.co slash Gleeman. And it's going to be, uh, what, we're two weeks away from opening day of the football season? I Is can tell right? it's football season because none of the television news people were at the Twins game. <laughs> Usually the first game of a homestand. Yeah, that's true. I see that's my boys uh, Doogie Wolfson there and Jim go. Rich and whoever else, yep. Mike Max. <laughs> and it was uh, nice and empty in Rocco's pregame, which is just how I like it. <laughs> I prefer you no want, one in You there. want to monopolize Rocco right. as much as you can. Because that's here's that's the right. truth. When there's no one there, we can ask that's real right. dumb questions. And uh, this year, you're going to win your fantasy football league. That's that's uh, that's your yeah. new goal. I don't mean you, Eric. I mean, you're no, not going to win I'm your fantasy help, football league. <laughs> yeah, you but can use uh, Rotowire yeah. to really help. They are, uh, they're the best. I mean, they provide right. player news. 20 years they've been doing this. To all the big sites. Years, maybe. I use it just for baseball writing because their player database. Right. You can go look back through a player's entire injury history, their entire call-up career, whatever you want. And here's the what they're offering our listeners, a totally free trial. And I know you hear that a lot, but they don't even ask for your credit card here. Right. It's not like, oh, seven days in, they're going to start charging you. Right. They're so confident in their product that they're saying, basically, you can get a free trial. You can use this free trial to draft all of your leagues yeah, if you right, want that's right. for free. Yeah. And, and, the, and the, you know, their cheat sheets are updated daily. Yes. You know, it's going to be customizable. One of those things, as soon as news breaks that, you know, such and such wide receivers got a strained hamstring, is going to miss the first three games. Those, uh, those adjustments right. are being made on their projected Don't, stats. As someone who used to produce written <laughs> fantasy magazines, <laughs> right, yeah. do not rely on the magazine that you bought off the shelf from somewhere because those right. magazines were submitted three months that's ago. That's right. That's exactly uh, right. So here's how it works. You just go to rotowire.com slash Gleeman. No credit requ- no credit card required. Totally free trial. Use it to draft with and then just assess. Do uh-huh. I like this product? They're confident you will. That's rotowire.com slash Gleeman. All right. Uh I don't know. There's a few ways we could go here. I guess we can talk about the rotation a little bit. They they haven't announced fully, you know, what it's going to be, but similar to, uh, I guess, on last week's show, I kind of hinted at coming Buxton changes. Which we'll talk coming about. Coming Julian yeah, changes. Right. Sometimes we know stuff. Uh, it's, I would guess, as of right now, some of this has been announced, some of it hasn't, but I'm going to guess that Joe Ryan returns to the rotation uh, on Saturday against the Rangers. Bailey Ober pitches Sunday against the Rangers. And then my assumption is 
that instead of going to the six-man rotation that we've talked about, what they're going to do is keep a five-man rotation but have Dallas Keuchel what they call piggyback with Bailey Ober. With Bailey Ober on Sunday. Now, like that. that could change depending on what happens over the next couple of days. Sure. And it could also change based on how Bailey Ober's own start goes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if he struggles yeah. or if he's flawless or somewhere in between, that could change things. But I think that is their way to kind of go. It's almost like a five-and-a-half-man rotation, right. I guess yeah, you might look true. at it. Um, to keep Keiko in the mix, they could potentially then the next time through if they wanted, depending on the off days. By the way, depending on how big this lead gets or right. stays yeah, against Cleveland, yeah, yeah. expand it to a true six-man. But right now, I think they're still in, let's keep everyone on schedule. Let's try to still pedal to the metal here, expand or, or maintain this lead, and it keeps Dallas Keiko around. Um, you know, it's a, it's a weird we, situation we, with Keiko because prior to his last start against Pittsburgh, I felt like this was probably <laughs> yes. going to be his last start with the Twins right. because Joe Ryan had made a rehab start and was ready. Potentially as, his last start ever. Well, well and that's the <laughs> yeah. the extra weird part is like it's one thing to say, well, the Twins have gotten what they need to get out of him, which is three starts, mm-hmm. regardless of how he pitches. Uh, Joe Ryan's ready to step back in, but then he goes out there and he throw he takes a perfect game into the seventh and. Right. I think it can be a mistake to overreact to one game like that, particularly because it's not like he had 15 strikeouts or something, but he did pitch well. Right, yeah. Now, Pittsburgh's a it was Pittsburgh. weak-ish lineup, <laughs> exactly but right. whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, in his first start, he allowed one run in five innings. Yep. It wasn't the prettiest. Yep. Right. Obviously, the second one in Philly was a, was a disaster. disaster. <laughs> yeah, no. uh, but they – I mean, it's very difficult to, after a guy takes a perfect game into the seventh – to literally say to him the next day or two days later, thank you, thank you, thanks, see ya. <laughs> yeah, particularly right. because, as you just said, you know his last start with the Twins that could, if that were the case, right. could very easily become his last start. Period, the last start of his career. I mean, this is a it's comeback. Also, it's him. also, I mean, besides you know, sort of the unfairness of it all. Uh, there's also the aspect of you know all the other guys in that locker room yeah. want to know that results matter a little bit sure <laughs> right? well I mean, and there's definitely you know, i would say keiko definitely kind of commands a room uh yeah. just seeing him a few times here right and uh it's different than if well, even if you, like a j hap or right. somebody another veteran sure but it you know they command a room in the sense that people go oh this guy's been pitching for 15 years dallas keiko comes with a lot of bona fides right that's right and i mean you could argue you could maybe argue they might react to that to a veteran. You're, uh, you know, cutting loose a veteran pitcher if he has a bad start there. Like maybe you give him more than right. two bad starts in a row. Instead, he goes with pitches five and two thirds right. of no no, and uh, six no and six and a third. I'm sorry, six and a third no no. Yeah, I mean, perfect. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's perfect. Great. Yeah. Uh, so now, you know, you're not under any obligation. Sure. But also, wouldn't you want to have that guy available? Maybe right. <laughs> right. That's kind of my feeling on and the it. Idea is, of piggybacking with Ober is an interesting one too. You've got the righty versus the lefty. Right. You've got kind of a hard. And we talked on that. Monday's Patreon, P A T R O N Patreon dot com slash Gloom. We talked because that was uh, immediately after Sunday's game. Sunday's yeah. ugly game uh, with uh, Sunday's game was the one Keiko. Was the Keiko game? Oh, then we talked on Wednesday. We talked on two. We talked Excuse on Wednesday me. about Uber. We talked how on he Wednesday pulled on, after pulled, Tuesday's ugly yeah, game after eighty-four pitches. Right. right. Yeah. And clearly, they're trying to. I mean, they've said as much going back a few weeks, but they're trying to limit Bailey Ober's workload because Bailey Ober is already like twenty innings past right. his career yeah. high in any season as a professional, and you know 
is it a big deal to finish with 165 innings in a season? No, not usually. But when you've only ever thrown 108, <laughs> it's a it's a big deal, and it's not a big deal in the sense that they think his his arm's going to like disintegrate on the mound. But it does you no good right. to have Bailey Ober throw 165 innings, you know, 60 more than he's ever thrown before. If you get to the playoffs and you say. Boy, he just hasn't looked like himself the last three right. weeks. Right. Uh, we don't trust him for a playoff start. Well, then that's a failure right. because you didn't need every ounce of him to win the division, but you might need every ounce of him in the playoffs. Right. And so you get into some spots where I think we talk, we discussed they are, this. They're trying to manage this. Right. right. And I think it's everyone can agree or most everyone can agree. It, it's logical given his track record, given where they are in the division and all that stuff to say – you know, we're not going to bump him from the rotation. We're not going to do a Strasburg shutdown. By the way, Strasburg right. yesterday announced he's retired, thirty-three <laughs> wow. or whatever he is. Right. But uh, what we're going to do is, I think Baldelli phrased it as, we're going to try to find subtle ways to limit his workload. And what that means is, when they can give him an extra day between starts because of the schedule, they'll do it. If I mean, they can, Tuesday start, he had two extra days already. Right. If, yeah, they can, right. if they can push him to the back of the rotation and keep everyone else on schedule, they might do that. Right. And then the real thing that's very obvious to see is starts like Tuesday where he gets through five and he's at 80 pitches, pitches or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. And instead of saying, yeah, we'd normally ask him to pitch the sixth and go towards 100 pitches. But no, what's, why, what yeah. is that inning? Why right. is that inning important? Right. And if you do that five times from here to then, it's like taking away a start, right, essentially. Right. And there's no – it's it's not a box you can check and know something's going to be good or bad. It's just right. what can we do kind of subtle ways. Now, I when think – Dylan Floor comes in and gives it right. five runs. That's the thing. Everyone, I think, if you lay that out, can say, all right, that makes sense. But that's right. in theory. In right. practice, somebody then has to pitch that sixth inning. And right. as you said, when Dylan Floro comes in and gives up 400 Lays consecutive egg, right? yeah. singles – then it's like, well, they should have kept Ober in. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah they maybe. Should have. No, but, they should have. No but I, you need to be able to count on someone being able to pitch a sixth inning somewhat effectively. Now that's a whole other issue with their bullpen because it's kind of running on fumes at this point. Right. But uh, I don't know. The, the goal is not just for the playoffs this year, but you're hoping to have Bailey Ober in your rotation for right. like four more years. Yes. Um, and so I, I think that all makes sense. And, I, yes, I think keeping Keiko around makes doing that – there are more possibilities to limit Bailey Ober's workload. Right. There are also more possibilities if one of the starting pitchers get hurt right. or struggle. Now we, we don't know what Joe Ryan's situation is right. exactly right now. We're going to see him on Saturday. He did have a rehab start last weekend, last Friday, yeah. after we did the last free podcast. Went four innings, gave up one hit, and it was home. <laughs> yeah. He says he feels good. He was there, okay. he was there uh, yesterday. But um, now Louis Varlin could provide right. that same yep. thing. I personally would kind of like to see Louis Varlin as a reliever, I like a, you're gonna... like a true reliever. I don't know. They've been given. I thought that like three days ago, but they've been given some interesting, weird signs about that. But we'll see. I mean, it all a lot of this stuff is kind of building towards September first, right. when they can add two more players. Now we should note for. Most of my life, and I think even most of your life, I don't know what they did in the 1800s, <laughs> I but <don't> either. <laughs> September roster expansion meant anyone on the 40-man roster could be called up. Right. So most times teams didn't call up 40 dudes, but you've got a lot of 33 guys, 35 sure. guys. Yeah. Some teams did call up 40 guys, and it made for really weird baseball in September when yes. teams are fighting for playoff spots and some teams have uh, right. 15 relievers and five right. pinch runners and yeah. all this stuff. It made for really weird and so starting in 2020, when they expanded the 
active roster from 25 to 26. They also said September roster expansion right. will go from 26 to 28, not to 40. Right. And so you can only add two guys. And so yeah, that's part of the collective bargaining agreement. Yes. The players got an extra person added to the roster, so they ended up, you know, having that many more salary, that a full right. year worth of salary amongst 30 teams. But they had to give up the the September. call up, the September call up, unlimited September call ups. Right. So. Now, on one hand, it was fun to see just a bunch of prospects in yeah, the dugout was, and yeah, you might was, get a pinch hit yeah, play or whatever. But for the most part, I think this actually makes for, for better, a better product on the field. Just the, it never made sense to me that the most important games of the season are played with double the, the bench as all the other games. It was like, it's almost, it should be in especially, reverse, especially from a bullpen situation right. standpoint. Uh, but as but, a result of, but that kind of hurts the twins this year because they've got right. they've got at least two guys hopefully so, coming off the IL, know, maybe three. I know people are like, here are ten prospects that the twins <laughs> should call up for <laughs> September. Yeah. None of those guys are going to get called up because I'm not even sure Louis Varlin's going to get called up right. because here's the thing, they're Willie Castro is about to start a rehab assignment with the Saints. Okay. Now, what complicates that is his wife is like going to give birth any minute now. <laughs> so he's going to go on this rehab assignment for his uh, oblique injury. Right. And then he's going to go on paternity leave at some point for a few days when his wife uh, has the child. Yeah. And so you're almost going to have to that's then. Not a way, that's not a bad way to kind of give him a, you know, get well, give no, the oblique but, a little start and then, you know. Sure. Right? But then he's <laughs> going to have to rest. come back and then right. resume yeah. the rehab, I'm yeah, sure. Right. So that's going to probably be a September addition they're hoping to get buxton back at some point in september they're hoping to get kirilov back at some point in september well that's already three guys there's only two spots and that's without talking about varlin that's without even getting into (laughs) austin martin (laughs) let alone you know pipe dreams of brooks lee or anything like that uh so i think you know it used to just be call up everyone this will all just be a big roster. And now it's more about functionality and the actual roles that they can serve. And in this case, just getting everyone healthy. Because here's the thing. if And I'm not even counting Larnick or Nick Gordon or Miranda or anybody that, right. like that. They have legitimately, if, if those three guys I just mentioned, uh, Castro, Buxton, Kirloff, are healthy and everyone currently healthy stays healthy. Now that's unlikely. But they would have 16 hitters that they, I think, would want on a roster, right. like on a playoff roster yeah. type of thing. Well, even with a 28-man roster in September, you're not going to have 16 hitters. You could maybe have 15 right. and 13 pitchers, which they've had. But even then, somebody's going to go. Now, somebody out of that three won't come back, or somebody, somebody out of the other 13 <laughs> will right, get, right, hurt, get hurt, so it'll, right. it'll solve itself. But that's uh, what to expect for September. Don't – I mean, if you're thinking, well, here's four good performing pitchers yeah. at AAA who deserve a ch- – don't hold your breath on that. That right. means it's just not feasible. And I mean, if they do end up saying like, okay, we're moving Varlin to the bullpen, something like that, you know, they can find another arm in the bullpen to send down. Well, <laughs> that's point, right, you know? part of the Keiko thing right. is, is it the best use of a roster spot in September? To have a fifth and a half pitcher. Right now, to have a 35-year-old with no future value to you who's like, yeah, your sixth starter basically right, and right. piggybacking all that. Not really. Uh, and you know, I don't know. I'm I'm a skeptic with Keiko, even after watching uh, sure. his good last start. But what have they really been using the last couple of spots in the bullpen for? I mean, we we joked on the Patreon. I did the math with the help of <laughs> Do Young Park. Cole Sands, as of two days ago, had spent 65 days on the active major league roster right. this season, and he had pitched 14 innings in right. 65 days. He had appeared 11 times, so he pitched once a week basically. 
well, that's a roster spot that's essentially right. not being used. Right. And then even, you know, some other, the Dalzavik-Ortega spot that basically, like you can you can make better use of these or at least you can stash a different, uh, you know, non-used player in right. that spot without really impacting things. Because this goes back to the Molitor days, but it's certainly true of the bullpen now. Everyone likes to think that, well, if you have eight eight-man bullpen or even a nine-man bullpen in September – there's no way they'll get overused, but the number of guys in the bullpen isn't what affects overusage. Right. It's the number of trustworthy guys in right. the bullpen, right. and so we're seeing that now, which is they have had eight guys in the bullpen the entire season, and I wrote the other day that you know the Duran jacks yep. contingent is overworked and yeah. people were like how can they be overworked the twin starting pitchers have thrown uh, the second most innings in baseball and it's like well yeah but that's and only the offense doesn't score any runs so it's always a close right. game exactly <laughs> right that it, it, the, it's never a blowout right. and they only trust really at this point duran jacks pagan and theobar right and so we saw in Milwaukee. Justifiably, by the way. Well, yeah, I'm not saying <laughs> right, they should trust right, anybody right, else. Right. I don't even fully trust Pagan, so they're doing more <laughs> right, than me at that right. point. But we saw the last Milwaukee game, which mm-hmm. is they had to use all their guys, and they used Durant for two innings because it was a close game, and then what happens? Well, going into the last night's game against the Rangers, the whole bullpen was down, right, basically. That's and right. that's the problem with only having four guys. And is Winder comes in and throws three. Right. <laughs> and so right. that's the – you can have endless relievers. And we used to joke around with Molitor about this because Molitor would really only trust like two guys or three guys. Right. And he would just use – like at one point like Trevor Hildenberger would just get used like, you know, 30 times in 45 games. Right. And then his arm would fall off. Right. And it was like, well, why'd they use him like that? They have eight relievers. Well, he only trusted two of them. Right. Uh, so anytime there was a close game, those are the guys that are getting – And my fear is that's kind of where they're at. Now, they're past the point of being able to really do something about that. I mean, the trade deadline has come and gone. We we ripped them pretty decently, I think, for not making bullpen moves at the trade deadline. I certainly think whatever you viewed the bullpen as on August 1st, it's less uh, promising right now. I mean, Brock Stewart's been all but ruled out for the season. Balazovic's been demoted, although he just got called back. Moran has been been demoted. demoted. you know, Jackson Duran are starting to show some signs of wearing down, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just it's not a good bullpen. It's not a deep bullpen. And Theobar both co- managed to cough up a lead earlier this week, right? But right. I mean, they're relying an awful lot on that those four that I mentioned, right. and they're going to need someone like Floro right. to be a fifth because you just can't. You're not going to be able to make it six weeks. So that is why I'm starting to wonder about Varland. Varland. <laughs> yeah. And then if we get into the playoffs, starting to wonder about Maeda potentially moving to the bullpen. Sure. So that's why that comes into play. Um, yeah, I don't know. The the bullpen. In, uh, the, in, the, listen, if they don't come back and win that game yesterday, the story of this week is the bullpen pulling leads. Right. right? I mean, that sure. happens both times in Milwaukee. Uh, they in both times in the sixth and the seventh inning. It's not the eighth and the ninth inning where they. I right. mean, they they do end up losing in the tenth inning. Don't get me wrong. When Durant's in his second, but I mean that's you know with the Manfred Ghost Runner that's going to happen. But the truth is that both of those games were lost in the you know second tier of their bullpen, right. which is you know to be honest, to be fair, Theobar and Pagan have actually been pretty good since the All Star break. Like right. they've probably been their two best relievers since the All Star yep. break. So them losing that lead on Wednesday. You know, it's just unfortunate. There's nothing. There's nothing to be learned from it necessarily. But the fact is, is that that is the area that we were worried about. That was the area that 
we kind of thought, listen, we can't believe they're not going to go out and get. They don't need to go get Josh Hader. They needed to go get, yes. uh, you know, somebody a little better than Dylan Floro. Right. <laughs> right. And, and yeah, so there's two components of it that I think warrant, you know, worry or concern or, or criticism. Which one is what you just pointed out, which is you can point to specific innings right. and specific losses and go, they just didn't have the options here. Right. Yeah. That's one thing. But I'm almost more bigger picture. It's like even when they do. You know, they have a four to two lead after six, and you can map out how you want it. But even if it goes Pagan, Jax, Duran, and even if they pitch clean innings and you win that game, right. two of those guys aren't going to be available the next day, probably. Right. And yeah. if Duran right. does have to go two, like he did in Milwaukee, right. then he's might be out for two days at that point. And I'm not criticizing that part. The guy mm-hmm. should be rested mm-hmm. because what we've also seen is, you know, Jax's rough stretches here have followed some pretty heavy usage. Duran's rough stretch followed right out of the All-Star break, the heaviest usage of his entire career probably. And so, you know, is there a one-for-one correlation there? No, but you you can point to specific games that are won or lost because of bullpen depth or bullpen quality. That's one thing. But then you can also point to kind of the aftermath of even if it goes cleanly, when you only have three or four guys that you trust, most games that you win – you're going to end up using three right. good reli- yeah, three of your right. good relievers. That's exactly right. Uh, and then what happens the next day? Maybe you use those same guys, but then the third day you can't use them. And then that's kind of the part of it that I'd be focused on now is just they just don't have like a, I would argue a fourth, but they don't have like a fifth and sixth option that on a B squad day they can still count on to get a seventh inning three outs or whatever. And that. They need Florida to step up. They they were hoping Balazovic would step up. I mean, he's going to get another chance. It was very funny. He was back in the clubhouse yesterday unpacking his stuff, and a, I won't say who, but a writer was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> he was like, I got called back up. And they were like, didn't you just get sent down? He was like, yeah. <laughs> so he got sent down, never even pitched. Poor Jordy Blaze. <laughs> for uh, for St. Paul. Right. And then uh, Ortega, Oliver Ortega, who was yeah. replaced him, left the game with a back injury, right. went right back on the IL. So the way it works is normally when you send a pitcher down, they're ineligible to return for 15 days. Right. It's to stop it's kind injury. of the, the churn and burn of a bullpen right. that we saw in years past. Unless it's an injury. If there's an injury, that wipes away the whole time limit thing right. or day limit. It's a loophole. So yeah. you can bring a guy back. We saw that with Jose Miranda last year. They sent Jose Miranda in what is now called the Jose Miranda phantom demotion. Uh, <laughs> they sent Jose Miranda down to make room for Royce Lewis right. in like May of last year, I want to say. It was in the middle of the May season, June, early mid-season. Yeah. And then Lewis got hurt in his first game. And then they immediately, right. I think this is the transaction tree there. And then they immediately called Miranda right. back. He never even got to St. Paul. Right. Like he was still in the 48-hour window you get to report after a demotion. They brought him right back. And then he was their best hitter for the next three months. So, you know, they're hoping that happens with Balazovic. They they were clearly counting on not just Balazovic, Dylan Floro. Before that, right. the way they got Dylan Floro was Jorge Lopez. Right. They were counting on Lopez being a dependable guy. That didn't really work out. They were also kind of counting on Jorge Alcala yeah. being a dependable guy, and he's just been AWOL now for two seasons because right. of injuries. So they're just in a spot where you got two or three out yeah. of eight spots in a bullpen are just kind of low leverage, mop-up, long relief, now including Keiko. And you have four guys you trust who are just going to be ridden into the ground because they they can't stop playing low scoring games. Well, and this is why this is why those series versus Cleveland, despite the yeah. fact that you know you're saying just don't plant yourself, there is an advantage to taking four out of six 
in there. So you want to you want this they, division to end as early right. as possible. If they take four to six, it'll be over. They need to. I agree. If the but, twins take four, to right? Six. That's what I'm saying. Uh, you know, at that point, you can start thinking about okay, what is. Uh, what is uh, Bailey Ober's role going to be in right. the? Is it going to be well in the you, rotation, or is it going to? be? You can also right. start thinking, what's the best plan for a one hundred percent Johan Duran yeah, on right. game one of a postseason? Yeah, right. Is it giving him a week off? Right. Is it having him pitch every third day? Right. Is it you know what is it? You can Griffin Jack same thing. You can start to map that out because then if you can get into September and you're up like six or seven games with 18 to play or something like that, right. well, then guess what? You can hold auditions for, for playoff bullpen spots. Right. You can say to yeah. Louis Varlin or Jordan Balzavic or right. Dylan Floro or whatever, yeah. put together five good outings here. Convince us that you're someone who could pitch in a playoff game. Because, right. um, you know, best laid plans for playoffs, you like to think, well, we only need three relievers. Right. And then Cody Stashak's the first guy out of the bullpen <laughs> at Yankee Stadium, <laughs> and you go, oh, yeah. that's right. We needed more than that. <laughs> uh, let's see. There was one other pitching thing that we'll talk. Uh, oh, Sonny Gray, who I think pitches tonight, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, pitches tonight. Uh, we've talked about this for two seasons now, but certainly this season, this notion. Gray has, I think, through his veteran status, through how well he pitched early in the season, and through the way he talks post-game. Right about himself and his hatred of being removed from games under right. any circumstances. Right. There's this like narrative that got built up and I, I don't think he intentionally did this. It's no, just the way he is. Right. And it also kind of I, mean, I think he does it partly to kind of psych himself up. Like I want to yes. be in there, I want to be in the game. Absolutely. I want to like, I want Right. I want That's his focus. His focus is to be a workhorse. He right. wants to become a workhorse. The problem is he's never really been yeah, a workhorse. Yeah, he's never been a workhorse. <laughs> right, right. right. Is, go look That's at his entire is. track record. Right. He's been a lot of things. Multi-time yeah. all-star, really right. good pitcher. Right. Uh, you know, a number two starter, but right. a workhorse, right. he ain't. No. Uh, just never... That's his mentality. It's right. not his yes, physicality exactly. necessarily. Right. But it also then kind of connected to the... Uh, uproar last season about Baldelli's sure. quote-unquote quick hooks. And so right. it was, how dare they keep taking this veteran workhorse grinder, Sonny Gray, out right. after five or six Kevin innings. Kevin Brown is... The, <laughs> you know, whatever. Like, right, yeah, right. And, it, and then, you know, what is unsaid is Sonny Gray, after every start, probably since Little League, was like, <laughs> I think I got removed too early. Uh, and what's also unsaid, especially this season, it was sort of true last season, too, third time through the order, I remember. But especially this season, through five innings, he has a, uh, let's see, I wrote down the actual, 243 ERA. That's phenomenal. Yeah. We saw it in his last start. Yep. He cruised through five perfect on 47 pitches. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking, he might go nine. He right. might just. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, you know, four outs later, he's leaving the game and he's allowed four runs. Right, yeah. And he, from the sixth inning on this season, he has a 765 ERA. Now, right. narratively, that's very convenient. Sure. That's – it's overblown in terms of how he actually pitches over the course of his career. But Sonny Gray, like almost every starting pitcher – gets worse with each subsequent time they face the same batter in the same game. It's the pitcher loses their advantage when the batter sees them more. Right. They get to, you know, get a fuller scouting report. There's just visual cues that help your brain. And then also you just see the same pitches. There's only so many different plans of attack the pitcher can have right. before the batter goes, well, now I can just play along. I can think along with him. I've seen the slider. I've seen the curveball. Right. I know he likes to start me out with a first pitch fastball or whatever it is. And so, Sonny Gray, like most pitchers throughout their career, the third time through the lineup, which is usually the fifth inning, right. roughly, yep. 
is the point, the decision point. And managers tend to take those pitchers out. And then I think, though, the tide seems to have almost turned to the point now people are frustrated by Sonny Gray's yeah, inability. I, I feel right and I would like to find some middle ground here, as <laughs> usual, where it's like, you don't, there's no moral failing on the part of anyone here. Like, right. they're both doing their job. I have no problem with a pitcher, Sonny Gray, whoever, saying, I'd like to stay in. I'd like to stay in the fight. He right. likes to, I once sat in a room as Sonny Gray repeated, <laughs> I want to stay, stay in the, in the fight. fight. I would say 60 times in four minutes. Uh, he wants to stay in the fight, believe me. It's more he, like 60 times in 20 minutes. Yeah. Just sort of well, it was a long... You're right about that. It was a long... Yeah. Uh, but I have no problem with, as Baldelli says about a lot of decisions, we're trying to win the game. Right, yeah. Right. Uh, we're not trying to build Sonny Gray's uh, baseball reference page here. You know what I mean? Like, And so... I hope at some point a middle ground can be found because I think this is a prime example of trying to think along with the team's thought process. In 2023, the way starting pitchers are handled, modern baseball, not always saying what would Jack Morris do 30-something years ago. And I think this is just a perfect example of the manager or the pitching coach, whatever, in this case – they're on high alert once a pitcher like Sonny Gray gets through the fifth inning. No matter where they've thrown perfect on 47 pitches right. or they've danced around right. five walks right. or whatever it is. And the idea that, well, we might remove them, this pitcher at 80 pitches through five, even though, yeah, he could go 100 pitches and throw one more. It's the same with Bailey right. Ober. Yeah. And then the flip side is no one should have any problem with the pitcher wanting to stay in. Of course the pitcher. You don't want a pitcher saying, I wish they would have taken me out earlier. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah, right. would have helped my ERA. That's not what you want here either. And I do think like the – I don't know why – I mean, I do know why because people are nuts, especially on Twitter and <laughs> comment sections and stuff like that. But I don't know why the, it has to be an either or – like why does someone have to be mad at one part of this is what <laughs> I'm saying. Yeah. Why, why does it have to be mad at Baldelli for the quick hooks and then all of a sudden once it's kind of – shown that those quick hooks for gray not quick hooks but right you know i would say normal hooks for gray are very justified by his own performance then everyone just kind of goes over and takes the pitchforks over to the other side and goes well now we're mad at gray i just why does it have to be either he's a good pitcher who like many because what they want pitchers what they want is somebody who's going to go seven right that's what they want right well yeah (laughs) so do the twins believe me yeah right so does Sonny gray (laughs) but but you know wishful thinking right uh you know, put that in what is it? Put that in one hand and then defecate in the other hand. See which one fills up first. That's a, I changed that for radio, but uh, that's a good saying. Something like that. See which one fills up first. I probably botched that, but you get the you get the premise, hopefully, or not. In which case, I sound like a maniac. But you know, saying to yourself, "Well, we'd really like if Sonny Gray just consistently went seven. Well, yeah. So what if you right. really like that? You can you can lose a division trying to wait for that to happen. And so I don't know. I would just he's such a it's. It's playing out in such a perfect way that if you are somewhat open-minded to what you're seeing and sort of making – passing judgment based on what you're seeing and the evidence as opposed to just being mad that not everyone's Jack Morris or whatever, uh, I think it's a perfect example of a team trying to do what's best for them, which is we have a really good starting pitcher here, but – when he gets to 80 pitches or a third time through the lineup, he's no longer a really good starting pitcher. Right. He's not a bad pitcher. I mean, I think the seven ERA overstates it. But <laughs> he it's was just, an all-star last right. year. Just he was an all-star <laughs> this year, right. a month ago. Yeah. yeah. But once you get to 
third time through a lineup, fifth inning or whatever, we're going to kind of take it on a batter-by-batter, case-by-case basis. And then the flip side is, in Sonny Gray, you don't have to act like he's a bum because he can't go seven. Not all pitchers can go seven, especially right now. So I don't know. It's a... And this goes back to the Ober thing we were talking about, the Maeda stuff we we're talking about. It does you also within that it does you no good for Sonny Gray to set a career high in innings or whatever, or to right. you know finish third in the Cy Young voting. I mean that's that's great if that happens, but it needs to be in in the process of the larger goal, which is Sonny Gray's going to some noise in the post. Well, yeah, Sonny Gray's probably going to start like game two of a playoff series or game one, if for that matter. It doesn't do us any good if he throws 180 innings and we leave him in for the sixth and the seventh down the stretch and he's really happy about that. And then he gets to the playoffs and he's 80% and he gives up, you know, four runs in three innings. And then what good did that do you? And so as they hopefully avoid face planting here over these next 12 games, what we've talked about a lot is, you know, the priorities on opening day are different than the priorities in July and the priorities right. in September and certainly the priorities in October. And the Twins are in a fortunate position through some of their own doing, but really because the division is such horse bleep, that right. they're, the, the pendulum can swing a little bit to the other side, which is how do we cross this regular season finish line in a way that we can then immediately start yeah. a more important race. You can sacrifice some of the upside to right. uh, to moderate your risk. Right. Right, to manage your risk. Uh, let's talk a less about our last two sponsors. First of all, stamps.com. Nobody wakes up and says, oh, I get to go to the post office today. No. Awesome. Postal workers don't even say that. <laughs> more, more than anyone, you probably, they probably don't say that. Yeah, right. Yeah, stamps.com. I've, I'm a, I'm a, I was a power user uh, for like a whole six-month period of stamps.com when I was sending out autographed copies of my book. The beauty of stamps.com is you just print off the the shipping, not right. only labels, right. but the postage. Right. You can, A, save money that way because you can have precise you know, measuring. You don't have to just buy six stamps and right. slap them on there. <laughs> you then also, as you point out- Or just guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, yeah right. Right. Uh, you can weigh it, and, and then you can track your packages. They'll give you right. like a barcode and a number, and you can actually tell when your packages are getting delivered, which was right. key for me. And then, as you said, the big upside is- you just drop them in a mailbox or give them to your letter carrier, whatever it is. Right. You don't have to go stand in line with five packages every day at the at the post office. Exactly so right. stamps.com, I uh, I can vouch for them as a very good product. And they're offering You can uh, you can get your business ready for the holiday rush. Get started with stamps.com today. You sign up with the promo code geek. Geek, not gleeman. Yeah. Usually we do G-E-E-K, geek. Yeah. For a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage. And a free digital scale. No long commitment, long-term commitments or contracts. You just go to stamps.com. You'll see a microphone at the top of the page, and you enter the code GEEK. And that's how you're going to get all that bounty from stamps.com. Uh, and then last but not least, the uh, the Game Time app, which, uh, yeah, you're probably going to want to go to Target Field a fair amount here down the stretch <laughs> that's in right. September. That's right. Weather's good. Teams are... Uh, Cleveland's coming to town. Cleveland's coming to town. Yeah. Right, and then you might want to be there late to maybe see a division get clinched, something like that. That's right. Uh, you can use the Game Time app. Their specialty is hard to find tickets, and that's just not just sporting events. That's like concerts, shows, all that stuff, and yeah. then also last minute tickets, last minute which tickets. is very useful for Twins games. Yeah, uh, exactly. Right. John has been spotted many a time, <laughs> like on his way walking towards Target Field, looking at his phone, and he's buying the tickets. That sort is of correct. You can almost do it like seamlessly. You just buy them and then just walk right through that, the gate that's with exactly them. Exactly what I do. Uh, and that's the Game Time app that you can use. And here's the the deal that they have. 
for Gleeman and the Geek listeners. You just download the GameTime app. You create an account and you use the code Gleeman for $20 off your first purchase. So this is an app, not not just a website. So you're going to download the GameTime app, create an account, and use Gleeman for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Uh, download GameTime today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price. Guaranteed. All right. Let's talk hitting now. So much pitching. So much pitching for this team. Because the hitting has been uh, yeah. their strength now yeah. since the All-Star yeah. break. That's I right. Think they're, I mean, games like last night are... Are proof positive. Those are not games they win in the first half. When they, I mean, they lost plenty of games getting great pitching performances in the first half. They didn't win many games not getting great pitching in the first half. And last night was an example, uh, as Pablo Lopez talked about after the game. It feels like the ball is flying out of the flying out of the stadiums a lot. Yeah, this. I mean. Both at Target Field, we saw. I think at uh, what Amfam Stadium now it's called. I mean, there is uh, some truth Milwaukee. to that. Yeah, the right. Home run rates right. and stuff rise yeah. with the temperatures Absolutely. and everything. But uh, I'm not smart enough to know why that is. But it is <laughs> as things warm up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's see a couple things within the uh, within the lineup. I mentioned Willie Castro starting to rehab with the Saints, but he's yeah. got the paternity aspect right. uh, mixed in there, so that might be a little bit of a delay. Um, Buxton. Let's see. Was it the first game of the Pirates series? Uh, the, yes. We talked to Buxton in good spirits. Hamstrings feeling a lot better. He's been pregame. I've saw, I've seen him a couple times playing catch, doing some running, uh, taking some fly balls, that sort of thing. Um, not real heavy lifting, but the sort of stuff that guys begin to do when they're uh, on the road to coming back. And he was in good spirits, said that the hamstring feels good, but then beyond that, the at that point, three weeks that he had sat out, his knee was feeling a lot better. His hip was feeling yeah. a lot better. And within that, nature is healing. <laughs> yeah. It turns out <laughs> right. not playing a sport for several weeks makes your body feel yeah, better. Right. Uh, although I've not played a sport for like 25 years and I still feel like garbage. So I don't know the math on that. But uh, but I've been having hip uh, problems lately. You have been having yeah. hip problems. Okay. Like starting to worry me a little bit but because uh, it's not going away. Okay. Um, and Paul Deli, we then, after we talked to Buxton – uh, four days ago or five days ago. Then we talked to Baldelli about what we had talked to Buxton about, yeah. and I'll get into that in a second with him in terms of him playing center field. And then Baldelli started talking about Buxton's legs and his knee and his hip and how they're all kind of tied together with the back and all this stuff, and he starts to kind of point to his hip and say, this happens and that happens, and I just, about 30 seconds earlier, forced uh, Dohyung Park to listen to the identical thing about my own <laughs> hip that I'm sure he was not interested in. Right. And as Baldelli say this, I'm looking at Doe like, see, two great athletes <laughs> affected by rough hip situations to the point that Doe just then pointed at me and was like, Gleam, don't, it's just never mind. <laughs> and Baldelli's like, what's going on? Oh, he's, this, this bad piece of S has a bad hip. He's also bad shocking. Hip he didn't say that. I, that was my internal monologue. But with Buxton, the the end goal here or the next steps here, he's going to, he, he ain't coming back without a rehab this time. Right. Yeah. Uh, same with Kirilov, who we'll get to in a minute. Also, we talked to him too. Talked to him twice now since the last five days or whatever. Um you know, the days of bringing Kepler and Buxton back without a rehab, they've been burned too many times with right, that. Yeah. And also, Buxton's going to have been out for 40 days well, at some point. Well, and also, we are, uh, like we say, we've got six with 34 to right. play here. Right? True. <laughs> like, yeah, like, you know, it's it's not a necessarily an all-hands-on-deck situation if, right now. as we just went through the roster logjam. Right. There's no reason to bring a guy back right. and have to bump someone from the roster if that guy's not ready right. to go, right. basically. Yeah, right. 
But the Buxton situation is he's feeling better. He's not feeling perfect, but he's feeling better. He's got to get over the hamstring completely, but he's nearing the end stages of that, I think. He's going to go out on a rehab assignment, and Baldelli, his exact words were, we're having an actual conversation now about him potentially playing center field when he returns. Okay. And that doesn't mean he's a starting center fielder. Right. That means... Instead of being an everyday DH, which he means doesn't he's not necessarily an everyday DH, right? <laughs> right exactly. Now right. that could cut both ways. I mean, you could bring him back as a not everyday DH and not involve center field. Right. That just yes. means he's a part time DH. Right. Although yeah, that's right. a tough sell on a log jammed roster too. Right. And I, I think it's it could be somewhat confusing. I know people are just confused about all injury situations, especially with Buxton in general. But like, why now? Why is this different? Well. I have three reasons. In game. <laughs> right. I mean, I like right. why now versus April, May, June, whatever. Three reasons. One, the time off has made him feel as recovered as he's felt at any point since spring training. Right. Um, so let's not forget that they were absolutely grinding to try to get him and right. Kirilov and Polanco in shape for opening day. Right. Right. And the only one that made it back in time. Was Buxton. was Buxton as a DH, right? Yeah. <laughs> as a D, and that was as a DH, right? So, so as as he said, and Baldelli, you know, more specifically said, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now, and that's partly schedule because right. there's only five weeks, six weeks left. But it's also just he's had time off, like right. his legs have been not being used for several weeks. If right. it's going to happen, it's going to happen now. The second part of it is the idea of Buxton as your full-time DH has lost a lot of luster yeah. in part because a, I can't, I'm on part two. <laughs> a, I can't do this anymore. It's like a legal document. I'm, I'm caught myself. In point one, point three. Yeah. B. Please refer to uh, document four, <laughs> section three. Anyway, He hasn't been particularly productive as a full-time DH. It really hasn't even allowed him to stay fully healthy. Obviously. I mean, it right. did for a, a few months, but now he's been on the IL twice in the last, whatever. And especially, you're no longer lacking in DH options. You got Julian, you got Walner, you got Jeffers. You know, you could potentially have other guys in that spot too. They've gotten good production by cycling those guys through, and by using Julian there allows them to play Royce Lewis at third and Polanco at second, where otherwise you might not have a spot for them. And so the appeal of Buxton, you know, right. in that it's just, oh, he's our DH. It's You're now blocking. Right. You know, at the beginning of the season, he was blocking like Trevor Larnick. Well, now he's blocking guys who've been performing right. now for months. Yeah, and guys so, that you don't want to leave right. the lineup. And right. so that loses a little luster. And then the other part is just time, which is what is the real end goal here? And this is what we just talked about with the pendulum of kind of focus swinging, which is we'd really kind of like Byron Buxton to be in center field for game one of a playoff game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that right. would help not only because he'd be replacing a weaker bat, although Michael A. Taylor's got about a billion <laughs> home runs this month. Yeah. Uh, but you want Julian in the DH spot for a playoff game, presuming you're facing yes. a righty and all that. So those are the, the reasons for it. But all those reasons, I think, are individually logical and taken together are logical. But none of them guarantee anything. Right. And Baldelli yeah. especially was has been very cautious in his wording of saying, A, and I can't go back to this, A, <laughs> it's, it would be occasional usage in center field. We're not looking to bring him back as your five-day-a-week center fielder. That, that's just not even a possibility. And even that, he's unwilling to say that's even likely. Because, right. I mean, for that to happen, he's going to have to do at least probably another week of behind-the-scenes work. Then he's going to have to go 
either at Fort Myers to start or yeah. directly to St. Paul and do a rehab assignment, which is going to be he's going to first he's going to DH, then he's going to take a day off, right. then he's going to DH, then he's going to play center field, then he's going to take a day off. You know, it's going to be they need him to play center, not because they don't they think he's going to forget how to play center field, but because they need to find out what does he look like the next morning when he walks in after right. he plays That's seven right. innings yeah. in center field. I mean, when they said you know Buxton can't play outfield right now, what they were they weren't saying he literally can't go out right. and field. Fly, they're fly saying, balls. They're saying his body isn't holding up to the rigors yes. of, of what playing happens the, outfield, the next right? day. Now we're talking end game situation here, and in the you know, especially if you get it to the postseason, where there's you know, granted you've got to get through that first series and stuff, but there's a lot of days off in the postseason. There's a lot sure. of times where you it's a two game set. Now it's a three game set. You've got a day in between, something like that, and that does give you know, a little bit more opportunity to rest and recover and and regain. Right. You know. It's a you know now or never. Is basically yeah. the the real driving force here, right. with the caveat or the extra of they got plenty of DH options. Right. Yep. I mean, it's just a it's yep. a hard argument. Yep. And I, I'm and the first, fit, and you don't have 22 games in 23 days. You've got true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I'm the first one to say that it's a mistake if you're only assuming Buxton's like kind of baseline production level at this point is what we saw so far this season. Sure. I mean, I don't know why you would treat him differently than any other player in that regard. I mean, he's been a 500 slugging percentage, eat right. something OPS guy for the past four or five years. Yeah, he struggled in the first half, in part because he was banged up, in part right. because he was trying to learn right. DH, whatever you want to assign that to. And I think, yeah, if you assume that's what Buxton is now, which is a 207 hitter with a right. 710, well, yeah, then he's not going to be very good compared to anybody. Right. But I don't know why you would assume that when last year he was far, far better than that. Right. Even before April, that. this year he was. Right. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky spot, I think. It's one of those I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, I, I guess I still wouldn't bet a whole lot of money on Byron Buxton starting a game in center field at any point this season. But the change in tone yeah. for the Twins, like in terms of their public stance, is is noteworthy. Sure. Because this is the first time – they're finally kind of saying it's a possibility. It's something we want. It's something we're pushing towards. But and there's you know a, Buxton wants it. Well, yeah. I mean, Buxton – Right, Buxton could be a headless, uh, <laughs> a bodiless head, yeah, with right. with no limbs, and you go, can you lead off and play center? And he'd be like, I'm right out there, I'm do it. <laughs> right. But so that's yeah. But he, you know, he seemed to be uh, in good spirits from an injury front. We'll also see, like, even if everybody agrees, this is what we're going to do. We'll see what happens after the first start out there. Well, you know, yeah. the next I mean, day, that, but that's the first part start, of you know what I mean? like, why they want him to definitely go on a relatively lengthy rehab. Well, that's true too. Yeah, which we, is we will we will probably get a sense of it watching right. the rehab. Whether or not we need you to start back to back games in center, we need you to play a full game in center, and then come in the next day and right. be evaluated and all that. I mean, it's possible this is just kind of a moot point, but we'll see. Um, in the meantime, Michael Taylor's going to hit like 25 home runs uh playing phenomenal defense obviously yeah, except for the wednesday night <laughs> the wednesday sure. afternoon overrun the ball yeah. yeah i mean i i racked up a lot of uh, the late inning craziness of that to the heat in milwaukee i yeah, think those i think every, were, everybody was just absolutely I, fried i thankfully wasn't wilting because it sounded like even in the press box it was terrible but yeah guys yesterday were like we escaped with our lives. Like <laughs> yeah. Jeffers, yeah. like he didn't say I passed out, but the reason he fell twice is because he had just caught <laughs> his legs just weren't nine working innings, anymore, right? Yeah, right. That heat. Maeda had to change jerseys like three times. I yeah. thought I the watching it, I was like, he's not going to make it through the first <laughs> inning. He looked like me out there it sweating. Was nuts. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, let's see. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the end goal, like I said, 
would be Buxton in center, Julian at DH, Polanco at second, Royce Lewis at third. Yeah. That's pretty good. Within that, also, uh, if you listen to Get, this. Getting Correa a little rest prior to uh, the postseason might be a, not a bad true. thing either, yeah. Mr. Planter Fish. Yeah. Is, yeah. Uh, if you listen to this show last Friday, you were ahead of the curve on the Buxton thing. Yes. Because right. there had been some rumblings that I talked about on the show. The other thing that there were some rumblings about that we talked about on the show was that they were finally kind of, what did you call it? Their resolve was crumbling? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I like that. Um, that's what I do to people in life. Yes. I, I just sort of yeah, pick yeah. at them until their resolve crumbles. This was uh, So I've asked. Yeah, I saw you dating. That was my main strategy. That was it. Yeah, right, sure. She'll quit at some point. She'll lose the <laughs> the will to live at some her. point and decide, <laughs> yeah, I can sit with him for the next 50 years, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I just asked about Julian playing first base every day for five months. And at some point, they finally went, yeah, we're thinking about it. Yeah, well, I'll go on a second date with you. Yeah, fine. You pick me up. Yeah, whatever. We'll go to a movie or something. We don't have to talk. Uh, so, yeah, they're, uh, Julian's been getting some reps at first, finally. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why it took. It, it's just seemed like such an obvious thing this whole time, but yeah. you know, better late than never. I mean, and that he'll, he'll get reps there just about the time Kirilov comes back. We got to get to that. Yeah, update. I want to hear the Kirilov. Uh, but the the weird part about Julian. So Julian's funny because if yeah, I remember what the first time they called up Julian, uh, to Target Field. I guess was the second time he joined him in Boston. I think the first time. But the first time I talked to him as a member of the Twins at Target Field, I said to him hey, you've been playing only second base, but have you been getting any reps at first? And he said, oh, yeah, they've been giving me some reps at first in St. Paul. And then four minutes later, I asked Baldelli, and Baldelli said, no, he can't play first base. So I was like, well, I'm confused. <laughs> so now he has been getting reps. I've, we've seen him getting reps at first right, base. Yeah. And so we asked uh, Julian, oh, how's it going with that? And he goes, I don't know, it's fine. I played first. It's easy. And he goes, and then as soon as he said it, he goes, I'm going to regret saying that. That's easy. And I was like, okay, I get it, yeah, buddy. That, 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 uh, but, yeah. That's a knock on wood. <laughs> but, I mean, he's right. right yeah. Like, I just – is he going to be a good first baseman? I don't know. Right. He's not a good defender. So, odds are he's not going to be a great first baseman. But we've seen enough Miguel Sano and uh, Luis Arise right. or just random guys play first base. Uh, Christian Vasquez plays first base fine. You know, like, we've seen it. That – it's not the bar there. There are some guys who just can't play it, but for the right. most part, you you can be passable at first base. But it, if you're, I guess the the logic that always twisted me in knots on this was, if you think a guy, if you're willing to play a bad defensive second baseman consistently at second base for a contending team, right. because you think either. He's not as bad as he may seem, or there's room to improve to the point that he can be playable there. Well, logically, you could say the same thing about first base, and it'll be even easier. Yeah, Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah. But here's why all this ties back to Buxton, which is the only reason you would really need Julian at first base, because you don't need him at first right. base right now. Right. Uh, I mean, you could you play could, him at first you base. Could, I might have him at first well, base right now. <laughs> yeah, but what does that change between him at DH versus first base? Oh no! Right uh, yeah, given yeah, right. Yes, but where it, where, where it would change is, is if Buxton, Buxton comes back, back and, and isn't playing center field on right. a given day yep. or just at all, yep. and he's at DH. Well, then you have the three infielders: Julian, Polanco, Lewis, and you have two spots for him, unless one of them can play first right. base. So it can kind of serve as DH for Julian the same way. And so I think that's key. But that again could be several weeks out. I mean, he played one inning in Milwaukee at first. Yeah. which is kind of breaking the seal on the, right. the concept, yeah. which is good. 
but I don't know. I don't know if we'll see him start there until, unless or until Buxton comes back. And then to your point, I think Kirloff might beat Buxton back. In which <laughs> right. case, the ability to play first, first base, base as a left-handed hitter isn't all that important anyway. Although, so we've talked to Kirloff a couple times. It's the shoulder. Um, you know, he got the cortisone injection. It's a rest and rehab situation, but it's one of those like he's going to have to play through some level of discomfort here. Um, you know, because he didn't have surgery on it or anything. Right. I mean, he hurt his shoulder and then he re-aggravated it diving on a ball, I don't know, a month and a half ago right. or whatever it was. Uh, the thing with him that they've said is he needs to go on a rehab assignment because they're taking that stance now with everyone, which I think is good. And what they need to see from him is what we've kind of looked for from him in the past with wrist injuries, which is does he is he driving right. the ball? Yeah, is right. he elevating the ball and hitting with, with he authority? He seems to be doing that even with the shoulder Injury, yeah, although not at the end. At the end, it was just, you know, I mean, when they shut him down. But yeah, I mean, he he had the best stretch of his career right. basically right. at the beginning of it. But I think it kept getting worse and worse, and he was trying to play through it. But the the point they made with him is similar to Buxton. It doesn't do us any good. We're not lacking in options for the right. lineup, and so to bring these guys back, whether it's Buxton, whether it's Kirloff, whether it's Willie Castro, whether it's whoever, it's not just a default of the day they're ready, we're going to bring him back. Because they've got to be productive, right? You have to be right. productive because you're replacing somebody in the lineup, most likely, who has been reasonably productive, right. or at least projects to be, you know, reasonably productive. And yeah. so, it would be great if they were in a situation where they had Castro, Buxton, and Kirloff back in by mid-September, whatever it is, yeah. and they can start to make decisions. And Baldelli's got 15 guys he likes, and he's you know mixing and matching, and you're starting to see you know uh, a playoff lineup take shape. Yeah. And maybe that means no Joe Gallo. Maybe that means whatever. But they're a long way from that. And I don't mean like they're a long way on the calendar, although they are probably several weeks away from that. I just mean Buxton's got to show he can play center right. yep. and hit. Right. And then Kirilov. He's and just stay got, healthy. Right, <laughs> right. And stay healthy. Right. Right. And Kirilov, same thing. With Kirilov, I mean, I think you're going to be able to tell. You're going to be able to look at – he's going to go to St. Paul maybe a week from now. I don't know. It could be sooner than that. He seems pretty – he seemed pretty ready to go. Like, you know, just – the okay. way he was talking. Um, he's been on a hitting progression is what they call it, which is, you know, take some dry swings. You take a few. St. Paul's on the road this week. They're in Omaha. Omaha this week. Yeah. I wonder if Willie Castro has joined them in Omaha. Okay. Which I'm sure his incredibly pregnant wife loves. <laughs> I'll be in Omaha. Who doesn't love to be in Omaha? Yeah. <laughs> if you need me, I'll be in the place famous for steaks. Uh but the thing with Kirloff that you're going to be able to watch is uh, just what are the exit velocities from St. Paul? Is he elevating the ball? Is he, you know, making hard contact and all that? Because I think that's going to be the giveaway. It, I mean, Kirloff before he got hurt, he was their best hitter, like right. for yes. long stretch oh, yes. at that point. And Absolutely, he was hitting third, he was hitting second, oh. he was coming through in clutch spots, and now he's just been kind of out of sight, out of mind. And some guys have stepped up. Kepler yes. stepped up. Yeah. Walner, Lewis. Julian, those guys have all stepped up. Jeffers, obviously. But to be able to add care, I mean, that is a potential game changer yes. against righties in a playoff series because he's going to like bat third for you. We probably. got enough of a taste of what he is like right. post All Star break this year to kind of remember, oh, yeah. Yeah. This is what we were really hoping for. Uh, you know, two years ago, three years ago, he yeah. seemed to have been all the way back, and then the shoulder injury now, took him out. It sucks bit. that he just can't get a clean runway from a health standpoint. Right. And this shoulder injury, I don't think it should just be like brushed off as nothing. Sure. It is a relatively, it's a, not a minor shoulder injury. Right. I mean, he's already been out for I don't know how many weeks at this point. But so that's the plan with him. 
Uh, let's see. One other. Yeah, one more example of guys that you want to have healthy come October first. Yes, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> like if it yeah. honestly, if if you could sit here and say, by not like if you could make a deal with uh, the injury devil and say. <laughs> We're not even going to play Buxton or Kirilov a single game for the rest of the regular season. But somehow, miraculously, we could snap our fingers and they will be fully healthy for game one of a playoff series. That is a thing you would sign up for immediately right. yes. today. Yes. And certainly two weeks from now if you're way up in the division still. Right. like, And so that's kind of what I'm getting at with the whole team is right. it's not that extreme for the whole team. But you want to cross the finish. You don't want to limp across the finish line or crawl across the finish line yeah. because then all you're looking at is then you, you're looking looking up at a playoff opponent that is probably in better shape. And that's happened too many times to the right. Twins in yes. the last decade or so. Right. Basically, since they moved to target field. Right. Yeah, it seems like every year they yeah. were, are shorthanded going into the postseason. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. What are we? We're at about 120. Okay. Bullpen. I don't know. Do we talk enough about the bullpen already? I, I, had a few have, I think we have. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. I think probably we have. The one guy... I've gotten a lot of questions about Cody Funderburk, which is a great, yes. a great name, first of all. <laughs> there was a guy when I was a kid played for uh, Ohio State named Lawrence Funderburk. Oh, yeah, I remember Lawrence Power Funderburg. forward. Yeah, you know, right. Played in the NBA, I think. Right. I always thought that was an amazing name. <laughs> Funderburk. Anyway, Cody Funderburk uh, was a former hitter in college that the Twins drafted in the 15th round, I think in 18, 2018, and then converted to a left-handed pitcher. Right. And he was a starter at first, and he had you know decent – Decent track record in the low minors as a starter. And then this year, last year he moved to the bullpen. But this year, full-time moved to the bullpen, began at AA and has been with the Saint, AAA Saints for the past, I don't know, several months. Phenomenal numbers uh, as a lefty, right. as a left full-time reliever. Um, he hadn't given a homer till yesterday or the day before yesterday. He had pitched like 60 innings with no homers allowed. He's actually been more dominant against righties than lefties, like holding righties to like 180, holding lefties to like 210, uh, 80-something strikeouts in 58 innings or whatever it was. It walk A lot of walks, but also the strike zone, the electronic strike zone in AAA is disastrous. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh. I mean, I've not paid much I mean, attention to what's going on. Why the pitching in that league is so terrible. Royce Lewis came up and was like, I, you know, I'll, I'll take it, but – they just don't call high strikes anymore at AAA. Huh. So I just learned if it's you know above my chest, just don't swing at it. It's electronic, won't see it as a strike. It's <laughs> interesting. You look at the numbers in that league. I know everyone's like, how come the Saints are such great hitters, but the Twins aren't great hitters? Well, A, it's AAA pitching, right, yeah, but right. B, the strikes, I mean, the walk rates are crazy. But so anyway, Cody Funderburg is a lefty, uh, you know, sinker guy, 92, 93, not overwhelming stuff, but certainly major league caliber stuff for a left-handed reliever. Good track record. It's gotten weird with him in that they were without Theobar for months as their number one right. lefty. And yeah. then their number two lefty, Moran. Giovanni Moran, yeah. pitched himself <coughs> out of the bullpen and back to the minors. And yet at no point were they like, oh, there's this 26-year-old great performing left-handed reliever at AAA. Why don't we give him a shot? Right. And it's strange to me that as you see Balzavec and Ortega and Cole Sands and Winder and, you know, who knows? I mean, I can name 50 other right. relievers the past couple of years that they've just cycled through. Why not give him a look right. to have a second lefty? And is he on the 40 man? No, but it's not a right. problem not at this a point, really. Okay. Uh, there's droppable guys. But sure. 
I, I just and now, unfortunately for him, I wonder if that ship has kind of sailed because we talked about the roster expansion stuff. They're about right. to have kind of a roster logjam. I mean, if you right. didn't, if they didn't think he was worthy of a shot when they sent down Moran two three weeks ago, yeah. That would yep. seem to be a one for one. Instead, they called up like Ortega, who was just a low leverage, you know, mop up guy. They seem to be very. They they pad the bullpen with just these only usable in games that don't matter guys, and sometimes right. that works out. Josh Winder last night came through with a big performance in that type of role. Sure. but Cole Sands just collects dust, and Ortega and Balzavic and whoever else is just up and down, and they just that's part of why the four relievers they trust get kind of worked and sure, overworked. Yeah. Yep. And I'm not saying you're going to call up Cody Funderburk and he's going to become a trustable (laughs) guy, but there's at least more potential that he could fill a role for you as a second lefty. Um, It's I don't know. It's weird. Lefties aren't as important as they were, say, four or five years ago because you've got the three batter rule now. He's more effective against righties than lefties. But yes, that's I'm not look. He's somewhere between like. Anthony Slama and Pat Neshek. <laughs> Whereas there are guys yeah, who yeah, just have yeah. great numbers in the minors, and you, yeah. you think to yourself, why are they not getting an opportunity in the majors? And sometimes it's just because they're not major league caliber pitchers. And I'm willing to believe that. There's a there's a kind of baseline competency that scouts or teams right. can notice, and guys are able to pile up great numbers in the minors. But I mean, I've seen Funderburg pitch uh, and talk to people, certainly who have watched him quite a bit in St. Paul, and it's like this stuff is not any worse than you know, a hundred different relievers right. in the majors right now. So I don't know. That's that's the one, you know, Brock Stewart made a huge impact for them as a call-up right. from Triple A. Yeah. Other than that, they didn't really have any relievers who were thriving, in part because the International League is a disaster for pitchers, but in part because they just didn't. And so now we're talking about Varlin converting to – but the one reliever who has kind of thrived for the Saints all season right. is Funderburk, and he's a lefty, which is seemingly a need for them or has been a need for them. Right. So I don't know. It's a It's a weird – Every season, there are like a couple guys who you're like, why does this guy not get involved? Yeah, right. Like, why they cycled through eight different guys in this spot, and for a while it was Walner was right. that I was guy. Say, and that now was we see it. Like, sometimes it's really just yeah. you need to break the seal with it. Uh, let's see, last uh, last couple notes, and then we'll uh, then we'll shut up. I talked about Balzavik's phantom demotion. Um, Walker Jenkins, their first round pick. Uh, got promoted from rookie ball yes to low a right now that's a big move in general but in this case it's about 100 feet <laughs> right you're going from <laughs> well, the backfields of the uh what's it called sports complex the, the uh, hammond stadium no it's, yeah, it's in the something internet whatever sports complex oh yeah it's yeah like yeah. A, U.S. Shoot. I don't remember. Whatever it is. <laughs> but yeah, Hammond Stadium is the big stadium right. where the Twins and the, uh, right. not the Miracle, the Mighty Muscles, terrible name, play. And then like 500 feet away are a bunch of backfields, which was where the rookie ball teams right. play. So Walker Jenkins, like all uh, 17-year-old high school draft picks, was assigned to the lowest level, which is uh, the Florida Complex League, which there aren't even like fans in the stands or anything. <laughs> but he played 14 games which is all he could have played because the season ended. Uh, and he hit 333 yep. in the 14 games, 390 on base percentage, 537 slugging percentage. Uh, I think he had six extra base hits and four steals. And they had an option to – or the choice option. I don't like these word option with minor right, leaguers. Yeah. Uh, they had the choice to just say, that's good. Yep. Now you're done. Call it a day. Yep. Uh, you know, we'll work out. Good start. Prepare yep. for the yep. offseason, all that. 
instead, because he thrived and because there's six weeks left potentially of a season, they moved him up to low A, which is right. Fort Myers, which again is 200 feet away, but it's they play at night instead yes. of at 11 a.m. every day. There's actual fans in the stands. Right. Uh, there's lights in the in the ballpark. It's and it. you're three years younger than the average age at that Probably point. More, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. He's uh, he's 3.1. I, I looked oh, it up yesterday. Okay. Yeah. yeah, he's 3.1 years younger than the, than average. the average player. Uh, yeah, in the uh, Florida State League. Right. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a big step up. Th- that will be his first time. Feeling, I don't know what the high school situation is in uh, what North Carolina or whatever, <laughs> yeah, but right. it'll be his first time as a professional feeling like, oh, this I'm a baseball player. Yeah, like I'm not just a guy on a backfield here playing in front of uh, three scouts or whatever. Right. Like this, there's lights here, there's thousands of people here, they're selling beer, uh, facing know. a bunch of 21, 22 yeah, year olds, I'm facing a bunch of guys who were <laughs> right. also yeah, drafted, exactly right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he made his debut yesterday, last night, went 0 for 4, four yeah. playing center field. Uh, so that'll be good. I mean, he could potentially get another, I don't know, decent amount of games in to evaluate him. Sure. Um, the 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 first fourteen that he played, it's in, all good. It's all it's all good. Yeah, he looks all the news so is far. good here. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. Probably Bum went zero for four in his first game. Yeah, they should demote him. <laughs> Send him to uh, Dominican Summer League. It's the lower, even lower level. Uh, last two things. Well, I'll ask one thing. We don't have time. I was going to finish with a Josh Donaldson story, but maybe I won't. We'll see about that one. <laughs> um, Wait till the Yankees finish under 500, then we can talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's done with them. So. Uh, I'm trying to, trying to make uh, cement bones wall in their stick, and I feel I've got <laughs> momentum on my side. <laughs> I, I heard Perkins say it on the broadcast. All right. So <laughs> I may have slipped him a 20 to say it on the broadcast. Uh, and a bunch of people sent us crude Photoshops. <laughs> Of like the old timey cigar box baseball cards. Yeah, there you go. And then yeah, they yeah, just yeah. stuck right. a photo of Matt Walner and it said <laughs> Cement go. Bones Walner. Nice. Um, he, he since then, by the way, he got hit by another pitch and shook it off. Like this is this nickname. Unfortunately, like if he keeps getting hit on the hand by a pitch, he, I mean, he will at some point break his hand. <laughs> like he's not a Terminator, maybe. You yeah, know. or he is. Yeah, maybe in which case, vibranium. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> cement bones. Uh, so I'm trying to make cement bones Walner stick as a nickname. I feel it's a good nickname. Um, I, I got momentum, so I, I feel like we're really pushing that. So anybody now listening to this, now I put it on the free show. Cement bones Walner, and that comes from. He got hit by a pitch in the Pittsburgh series. Right. Or the Detroit series? Detroit series. No, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. series. Barucki hit him with a pitch. I think pitch. it was Pittsburgh. Uh, and it was actually a fall ball. It was on a swing. And he immediately like yeah, started Friday shaking night, his yeah. hands, and it looked bad. Like, I'm like, right. oh, God, he just broke his hand. Right. And then afterward, we saw Baldelli like, you know, five minutes after the game, and we're like, how's Walner doing? And, and he goes... I don't know. I thought he broke his hand. This guy's got like cement for bones or something like that. And I thought that's an 1800 style nickname, Cement Bones Walner. So I'm trying to make that happen. And then the. the uh, you should mention what's going on on the south side of Chicago. Yeah, they fired everybody basically. Although it sounds like. So they fired uh, Kenny Williams, Williams who's and, used to be their GM and is right. now just, I don't know, president or whatever. He's been their GM since for 20 right. years basically. Yeah. And then Rick Hahn, who, who is their actual GM. Was their right? actual GM. Right. Um, fired him. He's been there since for ten years, I think. Kenny Williams has been there for like twenty years, but, but and which, yeah, that I mean, right. it's deserved. They basically went through two full rebuilds with the same front office, right. and neither of them were successful. Right. Really, I mean, they won like one division title or whatever. Uh, but it's like they haven't announced the replacement. But all the reporting that I've seen is they're thinking about just promoting. 
the number the guy three from guy the inside, yeah, which right. is Chris Gatz, who used to be a infielder for the Royals. Is he the minor league guy? He's their player development guy, yeah. Which their player development hasn't been good, of course, right? But he's seen as like <laughs> the, only, young... the only guys they ever develop are like their first round picks. Right. That's true. <laughs> uh, but he's seen as he's like forty. He's a recently retired player. Okay. He's seen as kind of a up and coming okay. front office star. Okay, so yeah, and then. I think you want to just get him out of the player development role. <laughs> well, maybe that too, yeah. <laughs> Kick him upstairs. True, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it sounds like if he were to be hired, his number two guy would be Dayton Moore. Oh, wow. Who was just fired as the 20-plus year Royals GM. Right. Yeah. And who was the GM of the Royals when Chris Getz was the second baseman for uh, the Royals. Gotcha. And so... That's really playing the – I was going to say playing the hits, but playing the non-hits. Right. I mean, look, the Royals won a World Series, so all hail yes. Dayton Moore. They did right. something the Twins would love right. to do, obviously. But the and Royals, Kenny Williams won a World Series too, by the way. Yeah, true. Right. But the Royals were pretty horse bleep for the last 20 years. Right. I mean, other than like three years, they were right. terrible. And he just got fired by the Royals. So to have him come right back and be a number two guy, you know, maybe that suits him better or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, it just seems – I don't know Chris Getz – like his whole story or anything, but if you're firing the two main guys in the front office and you're just promoting the third guy in the front office, right. I feel like Twins fans should like that. Right. Like that seems like good news. And the best news for Twins fans would have been no firings. <laughs> just Probably. let Rick yeah, Hahn and Kenny point. Williams run right. this thing. But this the- is a close second. Like when their weakness seems you to be think- their minor league development and their their strength right. is you know making some trades that bring in some valuable and you know, performing players. I always felt like that was Kenny Williams' strength was trading you know he would bring in play the players that have been productive right. have been players that they have traded for so you end up firing the guy who makes the trades and promoting the guy who's yeah, i mean who knows doing the i mean i think it's deserved that they clean house obviously sure but it's been 10 plus years with this group and they just haven't won anything but yeah but and, and then the other thing is this hasn't been official either but it sounds like tony LaRusse is coming back <laughs> for some sort of advisory role which is just Jerry Reinsdorf, who's their, I don't know, 85-year-old owner or whatever, just bringing back the same cronies that he brought right. back in the first place, which is how they got into this mess to begin with. So, yeah, I, I mean, you aren't going to get many tears from, from Twins fans, obviously. <laughs> uh, but keep you, on doing what you're doing, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, no firings would be the best. Yeah. But you think about this uh, division, which is now in the last uh, nine months, ten months, Three of the five teams had fired their front office. Yeah, true. Tigers did it. Yeah. Uh, Tigers Royals did it ago, yeah. with Dayton Moore. And now the White Sox have done it. Yeah. And Cleveland is certainly not going to fire its front office. But Terry Francona, the cat's out of the bag that he's retiring, basically. Yeah, I mean, right. he won't say it, but he's retiring. Uh, which I, I'll be very curious if the same Twins fans who every year have bombarded us with, well, the Twins – are going to get caught from behind right. by these Cleveland Guardians because they got Terry Francona leading the charge. He's a genius Hall of Fame manager, which is all true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Are then going to be like, wow, that's great for the Twins that he's retiring, or if the narrative will shift to, well, he wasn't that good of a manager the last several <laughs> years anyway, which uh, I do wonder how much of that kind of, I don't know, lame duck status has played a part in their overall performance this year. I guess it's chicken oh, or the egg. Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah, their fair. overall performance that's has fair. played a part in his lame duck That's a fair question. Uh, but it's health-related. I mean, he's right. he's older. He's got a lot of hip and knee, and he's he's missed time with some he gastrointestinal problems. Yeah, I mean, he's had a lot of health problems. So, right. I mean, I hope he 
uh, rides off into the sunset and has a great retirement. He's a, by all accounts a great dude. Yes, I know right. Baldelli loves him. Like Baldelli yes. played with, for him one year in in Boston, Boston. and just loves him. But Falvey too. Yeah, Falvey works with Falvey for yeah, seemingly absolutely. So. Uh, but yeah, so I'm. But I'm. It is interesting that when there's a team that just can't seem to quite get any traction, and that's how I would describe the Guardians, which is they haven't been 500 for like three months. And I know we've joked about this, but the Twins fans' perception of them is skewed. Twins fans view them as this like terror that's behind them. <laughs> but Guardians fans view them as this very flawed, yeah. like just hopeless team. And I just We wonder, mostly remember them last year is the problem. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, we haven't seen them that much this year. And I wonder how much of that is like, you know, they know Francona's kind of, I don't yeah. want to say checked out, but he's on his way out and they're trading guys at the deadline and all right. this stuff. It's like yeah. you're not really getting the – the vibe from staff or front office that like well, this is a team that's going to take a charge here. They've also had some injuries and stuff. But yeah, I thought about that. The fact that the, you know we we saw Cleveland nineteen times last year. This year we've seen them seven. Right. You know what I mean? So it, yeah, it's not too surprising that our thought process about what Cleveland is sure. is having trouble adjusting to the fact that they're a very yeah. different team this year. Yeah, and I mean, I would I would maybe be the same way, except I've basically been <laughs> scoreboard watching right. yeah, through right. MLB TV, right. and I just put the Cleveland game on my laptop while I'm at Target Field or right. when they're on the road, and I've watched like probably 80% of Cleveland's total innings since the All-Star break, yeah. or just had it on at least sure. in the background, and I, I mean... They're not good. Like they have some good, great players, and their Jason. young pitching is good. I mean, they're Jason, gonna just before we go into six games. Yeah, well, that's what you're doing. Look, if the Twins are relying on me to not jinx them, they're in trouble. Okay, I can't even jinx my own we, life. I mean, you can all blame Gleeman. Yeah, they do that. They get swept by Cleveland. Uh, what was I? Oh, Cleveland's gonna have enough trouble holding off Detroit for second at this point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, and I'm not saying Detroit is anything, right? But like, they're what are they? A game up on Detroit, or a game and a half, maybe? A game up on like we helped them. That's right. We, that's were, right. we were helping uh, Cle- uh, Detroit. That's yeah, I mean, why we lost five out of or eight out of thirteen. That's what they were doing. You figure they were, <laughs> the Twins were like, yeah, it hurts us, but bit. it really hurts Cleveland. <laughs> Just from a mentality standpoint, yeah. We I mean, Frank Kona gets so tired of it, he'll retire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I'm very curious to see who replaces him because that job theoretically is a good job, except not if they're not going to spend any money and they're going to kind of right. keep trading away people. But yeah, they got the new ownership coming up. I'm kind of interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, they could if they spend money, Cleveland could be right. a terror. Yeah, Cleveland could actually be the way Twins fans perceive them to be, which is very scary. Right, but yeah. if they don't, thank uh, you to Hatch. Uh, go to hatch.co/gleeman. Check that out. Uh, Rotowire. We got that great free promo there. No credit card required. Stamps.com and GameTime. Download that GameTime app. We're going to be back on Monday to recap the Texas series and talk a little bit about the Cleveland series. Great week to join the Patreon. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be talking Cleveland. We might be, we might drop a couple episodes just to talk about the Cleveland thing. Yes, it's uh, uh, midweek episodes. You don't have to wait a full week for yeah. our next free episode. We'll be doing two or more. Yeah, Monday, Wednesday, whatever. Beyond yeah, may, that, maybe what we do is we drop one. Uh, well, I don't know. We'll see. I like, we'll see what we do. I, I think like they, we drop one Wednesday afternoon, maybe to cover the entire Cleveland series immediately after. I like you use the vernacular of like uh, album sales. Like we're going to drop a new single. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's of right. us sitting at a table talking about the twins. <laughs> we'll drop this hot new single. So for the, those of you who are patrons, we're looking forward to talking to you Monday and recapping the Rangers series. For the for the rest of you, we will be talking to you 
on Friday. P A T R E O N Patreon.com slash Gleeman. See you there. Bye bye. Gleeman.